This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to bring back John Meese. He has been on the show before. Last time, we talked about how he basically eliminated social media from his entire life. Now, he has added back in, very strategically, some social media. We're going to get into that a little bit. But also, we're going to talk about his brand new number one bestseller, Survive and Thrive. How to Build a Profitable Business in Any Economy, Including This One. And I know that title is a loaded title. There's lots of questions that stem from that, like, really, in any economy, including this one? And doesn't this one always become a moving target, depending upon when you're reading the book? We get into all of that. So if you're somebody who has been thinking about doing a side hustle or starting your own business, I want to tell you right now, yes, this book is like having a pocket MBA course that you can just go on through and get up to speed. Trust me, there's a lot of people who have started their own businesses who have endorsed this book as exactly that. So I'm just going to get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with John Meese. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show, my friend, John Meese. John, welcome back. Thank you so much, Eric. It's always a pleasure to be here. It's been a while since we've seen each other in person, but that's, you know, mitigating circumstances, obviously. It's, you know, you, yeah. I haven't been in Nashville since 2019, I don't think. So I barely have, but I live well, there you away. I will yeah. uh, reframe and say Tennessee, but still, yeah. I haven't done one of my classic road trips to Tennessee mm-hmm. in almost three years now. It's hard to believe. That's going to be remedied this year at some point. So, but last time you were on the show was late 2019. And the subject of that conversation was John Meese doesn't use social media for anything anymore and had great reasons why. And I still stick by that. And if you want to listen to that, I'll link that episode up in the show notes. However, I've seen you on LinkedIn recently. Yeah. And and here's the thing. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think if you're going to do business, like I told somebody recently, they were like, oh, social media. And I'm like, you probably need to maintain at least a LinkedIn for professional use only profile and say, forget the rest. Is that your view here? What's maybe what, what got you back off the bench doing social media? I don't think I can quote myself. Uh, I think I, I think I can quote myself with too much accuracy from that episode, which is hard to believe. Almost three years old now, yeah. but uh, man, time flies. But honestly, my philosophy hasn't really changed. Which my philosophy then was that there is, and I actually talk about this in my new book. It's not the main focus, but there's a section of a chapter that talks about that. Is that there is a social media bias in marketing where and I, rec- I recognize also Eric that you depend on this professionally for this bias towards social media. But the reality is that when people think like I want to grow my business, I want to like become more well known, they look around at other people and they say, okay, well, what are other people doing? And they say like, okay, well, other people that are successful that I admire, they post on social media, they get likes and comments and therefore they're successful. And so I'll do more of that. It's visible. What you can't see 
is you can't see how many people land on someone's website. You can't see how many people are on their email list. You can't see how many sales calls their team is doing on a daily or weekly basis. The vast majority of the sales and marketing machine is invisible from the outside. Like you can't see it. The only thing you can see is social media. And so social media gets a larger than it should place in people's mind when they talk about marketing or growing their business. So because of that, I recommend going back to a blank slate which is what I did. And I mean, you don't have to go as extreme as I did, but I deleted literally every social media profile and was like, okay, I have a blank slate and now I get to decide what am I going to do strategically to grow my business? And then you have to look at it strategically. And so I had to decide, okay, well, who am I trying to reach? Where are they? What are the results? Because the reality is on every social media platform, the likelihood that you're going to get someone to click a link to come to your website or join your email list is infinitesimally small. I mean, you know, you're talking about less than 5% of your followers on any platform will see anything you post. Of that five, less than 5% who see it, a very small percentage will actually click a link or go somewhere else and join your email list or buy a product. So you have to know that it's a lot of, there's a lot of vanity metrics that make it hard to see the true data. And so I went to a blank slate and then I decided, okay, you know what? I've got a book coming up. I want to be able to talk about this book with people that I think will care about it. It's a book that's written primarily for early stage entrepreneurs and brand new small business owners. So I said, okay, well, where are those people? And if you look, you know, there's just LinkedIn used to be just sort of like the online resume, but it's not that anymore. Now it's the platform where CEOs and business owners spend most of their time as far as social media goes. And so I started a new brand new profile. Like I used to have one. So I started brand new with zero followers and I kind of like started rebuilding a profile. But even then, that's not my main focus from a marketing perspective. That's one of the strategies that I'm implementing. And so I have a specific strategy for, you know, how much time I spend on that, what I'm doing to grow that platform. I spent a lot of energy around that, especially around the launch of my new book. But that was all strategic. It wasn't just because you should do something. I've never been good at following the shoulds. Like I've got, I'm always ask, but why? And this is an example of that. Perfect. So you got back in because of the book. And that Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense because when we talked about social media, we weren't saying it doesn't have its benefits, but there's so much time suck, so much lack Mm -hmm. of clarity in terms of what it can or can't do that it's not wrong to use a tool that everybody else is using, even if they don't know how they're using it or why they're using it. If you use it correctly, it's still a perfect way to use it. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let me just be clear, too. For me, LinkedIn is also still a little bit in the experiment category of like, I haven't really mastered the platform yet, but I did take time to like read books and go through courses on how people are using LinkedIn effectively because I wasn't just going to like, I don't want to just be another person in the crowd creating stuff on there. I want to understand, okay, I want to really master this platform. And now if you're trying to build a platform on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, YouTube, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, then or TikTok. I'm sorry, I didn't mention TikTok. It's the biggest one. <laughs> um <laughs> If you're trying to do all of that, it's really hard to become a master of all those platforms unless your whole business is about social media or your whole job is about social media. That's like the only exception to that. It's like, okay, if that's the only thing you need to be the master of, great, do that. But the reality is most of us are using social media to promote something we care about, like as a marketing tool and not just as like a personal connections tool. The reality is we've got a lot of other stuff that's much higher on the priority list to master, to really cultivate a skill in. And so that's true for me as well. Well, and you can even say that you're mastered in it If you decide that you want a minimal lower threshold level of mastery Mm -hmm. and you can stay, I've I've still accomplished what I set out to do with that. Yeah, that's true. So, which I think is where you're at. Although I think you probably have maybe a couple ideas where you're like, yeah, I'll do that later. I'll add Mm -hmm. on, you know, they're add ons. In other words, you bought the basic pizza, you'll add the extra toppings later. 
Yeah. So one of the one of my big learnings there is actually in the last half of this past year is related to LinkedIn, but it's more than that about the work that I do is that I realized just something is a good, just because something is a good strategy, like I've done the data, I've gone through the courses. So I'm like, okay, here's how to do that system well. I still need to take into account my own skills and where I'm trying to master things as a human being, not just as a business owner. And the reality is I'm a writer. The area where I get the most accolades and also where I have the most success, where I'm talking to an entrepreneur who's like, you wrote a blog post 10 years ago that changed my entire trajectory. I'm like, which, by the way, I've had that actual conversation multiple times now. And that's crazy. So writing is the thing that I'm really trying to master with books, with blog, with the newsletter and, and all these other platforms. It's becoming really popular to use video and, and pictures and that kind of stuff. And so I started down that path a little bit and then realized it's sort of like if it becomes really popular to write with your left hand, that doesn't actually mean you should do it. Like it's really popular to use video and photo. Yes. But I am horrible at writing with my left hand. So even if it's less popular to use my right hand, I'm going to do it because it's what I'm really good at. And I'm, it's going to be more enjoyable for me and I'm going to get more results from that. And so that's a, that's a new, that's probably a lesson I've relearned several times, but I relearned that lesson recently. And so now I'm like, okay, I don't do photos and videos on social media. That doesn't mean we as a business never will. You know, we could have other team members take over that stuff, but I'm a writer and I just need to focus on writing. That's what I'm good at. Oh, I love the clarity that you've got on this. And I, I love the perspective there because often, again, somebody says, master, and, and again, we'll drill down into let's let's talk about, you know, social media. Mastering social media means you've got to be a copywriter, a videographer, a photographer mm-hmm. and have great skin, good looking teeth, right. happy kids and, and wife and family and pets and go great travel. Era, you good lighting. To, you've got to have yep. and all the tech. <laughs> yes. All the tech that you're throwing in there. You've got to have all of that when instead. And and what I've been personally learning is, is you can be good at tactics and good at idea generation and productivity and project based stuff, which is what I do. But I'm not the one in my day job now. I'm not the one who has to design things and make things and shoot things mm-hmm. and, and record things like and I can do some of that, but I don't have to do all of that. And by right. And one of the values of the company is better together. And I just keep living into that more and more mm-hmm. realizing Oh, this is what it feels like to like be part of a team and master it as a a company, not as an individual. Yeah, no, no. Well, and I'm trying to build my own company around that. Now, of course, yeah. that means that like I can map out the strategy and say like, okay, to optimize my use of LinkedIn and really to grow it, you know, I could map out like a perfect strategy that's like the number of videos we should be posting on a regular basis, the number of photos, the number of you know, all that. And then I could back up from that and say like, the reality is. We're not at a point yet where LinkedIn drives enough revenue where I can justify paying somebody to create all those photos and videos. So I'm just going to focus on writing. It's going to grow a little bit slower, but it's going to take a lot less of my time and energy, allow me to focus on other things like my email newsletter, where I do drive more results. And then when we're at the point where we can afford to hand that off to somebody, we will. But that means right now I'm not maximizing LinkedIn. I'm doing what's essential. I mean, essentially taking my skills and saying, okay, I'm going to do less, but better. Here's what I'm really good at. And I'm just going to do that. Which part of that is writing. And we haven't mentioned yet the the title of the book, which is a number one bestseller, which is great. Yes. Survive and thrive, not just either or, which I love that. Survive mm-hmm. and thrive, how to build a profitable business in any economy, parentheses, including this one, which is great. Do you because like parentheses? I do. Yeah. I do. I had to call it out intentionally. The book came out back in what, September of twenty. 20- 21? Uh, no, no, no. I, uh, earlier. Yeah, actually, so uh, March 2021 was when you released the ebook, but then the actual July 2021 was when like okay. the paperback and audiobook came out. So that was like the full official launch, but all of 2021 was basically this book was what yes. I was talking yeah. about. 
Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch-your-own-shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety in your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond at evernorth health services we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line it's possible complex specialty care that cares about your roi it's possible because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. For a while there, I didn't mention the P word, pandemic, on this show. <laughs> and then I realized yeah. you're not going to get away with that much longer. You're going to have nope. to, you don't have to <laughs> dive in and address it, but you also need to not like play naive, you know, podcast right. and not mention it. But you were in the thick of various stages as we've been in of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and you come out with a book called survive and thrive. And a lot of people are like, wait, what, why is it both? Wouldn't it just be survive right now? Most people are in survive (laughs) mode. So obviously my, my first real hard hitting softball question is (laughs) why this book and why this time for this book? Yeah. Well, so it really, we got to go back. If you can go back in your headspace to remember the the era of the world where all we talked about was Tiger King and, you know, learning how to make sourdough bread at home. There was this lockdown period, like in March and April of 2020, where like in most parts of the world, you couldn't really do anything that you were like, all of your routines were destroyed. You were told either stay home or it, try not to go out. Or if you do go out, you probably shouldn't, you know, just wear a hazmat suit. It's fine. And during this time, people started trying to find things to fill their time. 
And I remember walking this sad walk from my house about a mile to a new co-working space that I had opened 58 days before lockdown, which was closed by executive order. But I walked into my you know, co-working space as the only person in the building and sat there in this empty building and was like, okay, this is not what we plan to do, but like, what am I going to do about it? Like, I'm not content to just go binge Tiger King and and learn how to make sourdough bread. First of all, I'm allergic to both gluten and yeast. So sourdough bread would just be a bad idea for me. But as I was looking out the window at at, uh, walking around the square, actually, I recorded this video walking around downtown Columbia, Tennessee, where I live and all these businesses is so eerie. Like every business is closed with a sign that's like, sorry, we're closed. It was just like a ghost town. And I realized behind every single one of those doors is an entrepreneur with hopes, with dreams, with ambitions, with late nights and weekends. They've been spent building up their stream with with they're spending their their savings and their kids and their wife or their husband are sacrificing to let them do this. And I just started really just grieving that. Now, sure enough, by the end of the year, more than 200,000 businesses permanently closed in the US in 2020, more than usual. Some businesses close every year. 80% of businesses don't last five years. Yeah. But it was massive. And I looked at that and I said, we're in the middle of a crisis. This was during the lockdown. I was like, we're in the middle of a crisis that's just starting. And everyone's focused on the health crisis, which is a real crisis. But there's also two other, I remember sending an email to my list um, that said like, this is a triple crisis. There is a health crisis, but there's also a mental health crisis because we're all still going to be dealing for years with the trauma of like of this whole situation. And I'm not qualified to help with that, although I am an advisor in a mental health business that does help with that. And then the third crisis was that of an economic crisis. And I said, wait a minute, I'm a traditionally trained economist who's become this like scrappy startup serial entrepreneur. Maybe that's something I can help with. That's what inspired me to write the book is to say like, look, yes, we need to survive. But for the sake of entrepreneurs, we need to thrive. But also for the sake of the world, all the wealth that we appreciate, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, all the wealth and the technology and the lifestyle that you enjoy is because of, it comes from either one of two sources, the original creator or the creators who modeled after him. And there's only two sources of, of like beauty and wealth in this world are entrepreneurs and God. And so, and I believe entrepreneur, I, I do approach entrepreneurship as like a spiritual experience for me of like, it's like I'm creating in the image of the one that I'm created after. And so entrepreneurship is just, we need, the whole world needs it to come back and recover. So I tried to throw my hat in and say, okay, well, I'm going to create a book that's a playbook to help you both build a profitable business in any economy, including this one. And so that's a long answer to your question of, why survive and thrive, John? Yeah. Well, and let's let's dive into that entrepreneur experience as you were just talking about mm-hmm. it in terms of, you know, the definition of an entrepreneur. I know that you and I both have worked in various capacities with Michael Hyatt, and he's got a unique mm-hmm. perspective on that. I saw him declaring that need for entrepreneurs to gain clarity on what their role is in a pandemic, because the pandemic, not to downplay it, is you know, and again, I'm extremely careful to say my words here, not to downplay to. the pandemic, but the pandemic was yet another emergency or struggle mm-hmm. on top of many others. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael, uh, who, by the way, who endorsed my book, which I'm grateful for his endorsements on the cover. He came out with a book just before mine called Entrepreneurship Will Save the World. And that was his response to the same crisis I saw, which is that the reality is that entrepreneurship was actually back in 2018. Entrepreneurship was at an all time low in the U.S., it was weird because we actually started like idealizing entrepreneurs, like people like Elon Musk and Bill Gates are like on magazine covers like celebrities. But at the same time, like number of new startups per year was going down and was at like a 30 or 40 year low. And that's not good. Now, the good news here since then is that since the pandemic and since the quote great resignation, we've actually seen quarter after quarter record 
crashing and crushing records every quarter of number of new businesses started. So what I hoped would happen is what happened, which is that there'd be this spring back from that lockdown and from that great reset, as the World Economic Forum called it, including people resetting their priorities around starting successful businesses. And so my book is just meant to be a tool to help make that possible. You know, whereas Michael's book, Entrepreneurial Save the World, is a great call to action. This is more like a how-to book that walks you through. Like, yeah. I mean, I, one of the first reviews we got for the book is that it's a weekend MBA. And I thought, that's awesome. I, that's, wish, I, I wish I thought of that first. That's a great yeah. way to put it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, to go to Michael's kind of, to paraphrase his quoting that, you know, mm-hmm. entrepreneurs are the problem solvers. And in any crisis, people have more problems, not less. So get to work. Right. <laughs> Essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Our job is to solve problems. If there weren't problems, you wouldn't need entrepreneurs. Most people hear that word entrepreneur or they hear the word entrepreneur with the front or back end cut off and then something attached to it syllable wise, you know, Yeah. Uh, which I want I'm just, I'm to pause there and then pivot and walk away. <laughs> There's a lack of clarity as to an entrepreneur being a problem solver instead of just another label for business owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Entrepreneurs solve problems for a profit. That's like the simplest definition. And I think that the reality is that once you adopt that mindset, it changes your view because there's, there are some people who approach business who don't approach it as an entrepreneur. They're not trying to solve problems for a profit unless you count the problem of their own bank account. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, I'm talking about looking around you and saying, okay, can you find some real people that you want to serve and find out what real problem that they have that you can help solve and then create a real solution to that problem? Because if you can create a real solution to a real problem for real people, you have a business. Now, of course, then you have to figure out how to get them to know and care about the solution you have. You have to get them to actually buy it, make sure you manage your resources well so that you're actually profiting something at the end of the day. And all that stuff is stuff I cover in the book. But at its core, if you just like to take all that away and just look at the bones of a business, it's a real solution to a real problem for real people. Excellent way to put it. It's very concise. And uh, it's, you know, for people that are thinking, okay, you know what? I, by the way, I want to call out this. I'm glad you said, quote, resignation earlier. I kind of hate the term, to be honest, because resignation to me is just quitting. It's passive, like I can't do this anymore, where and and I know that we can debate slash argue slash whatever, and I'm not going to. I just think, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people were in a lot of stasis type scenarios Mm -hmm. prior to the pandemic. And then during the pandemic, it continued and, and the variables changed. And so they decided, well, there's one more variable that can change. And it's me being here. See ya. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think a lot of those people, though, would be very beneficial uh, in terms of adding not just your book to their library, but to their, you know, their weekend MBA studying. So, yeah. Well, I hope so, because the last study I saw was that a third of people who are quitting during this great resignation are quitting to start their own company. So I, I do hope they read this book and save themselves a lot of time and mistakes along the way. But even before that, so you like like Gen Z, I don't, I don't fully understand Gen Z, but once, I mean, I, I have a sister who is part of Gen Z. My children, I believe, are also technically part of Gen Z. I don't fully understand that generation I want to. I'm becoming like the older generation that I always, you know, made fun of in past times. But one thing that's unique about Gen Z is that even before the pandemic, back in like 2018, I think it was a study that I read on this. It might've been 2016, but somewhere in that range. High school and college graduates, of high school and college graduates were going into 1099-based jobs rather than W-2-based jobs, which at space value sounds like a tax classification. You're like, okay, John, what does that mean? Like, no, it's a huge difference because it means we're switch. It's it's this shift to the gig economy, which we've talked about for a long time. And it's the idea that like maybe instead of having these like full-time employment jobs where you just have like one client basically who owns you. Instead, what if you recognize that you're a business of one, rather than you're trying to be an entrepreneur and scale a product-based company, or whether you're just selling your services, you are a business of one. And you can have one client who pays you the majority of your livelihood, that's called a job, or you can have multiple clients where you're a freelancer of some kind. And 
that's been a shift that's been happening for some time. And if you look at the economy as a whole, you would think it was a small segment of the economy even before COVID. But then you look at Gen Z and you go, wait a minute, 50% are going straight into 1099 jobs and just skipping the W-2 thing. That's big. And so I think that we'll continue to see that shift as the economy kind of reshuffles, as people reshuffle their relationships. Yeah. As they renegotiate or reconfigure is probably yeah. a better way to put it. Their, yes. their portfolio of 1099s instead of their one solid W-2 that can go, you know, completely disappear suddenly. So... Yeah. And I think it's actually better for business owners too. Now, plenty of business owners gripe about it. The term great resignation means that there's a lot of people who, you know, you'll hear a line at a grocery store being like, oh, you know, all these people on their, uh, you know, unemployment checks won't take jobs. And it's like, well, no, you're offering to pay them $15 an hour to work crazy hours to wash dishes and cook over a hot stove and probably burn themselves. They just don't enjoy that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not really about whatever, you know, other stuff is going on. But, but like in a lot of companies, being able to revisit your even your org chart and say like, OK, instead of hiring a handful of full time employees, we're all generalists. We're going to hire specialists. Now, you still need some sort of operations manager. You still need some employees. But instead, you can especially you can hire a copywriter to just do copywriting or a social media manager to just do social media as a freelancer. Instead of trying to create some sort of full time role, that's like a bunch of different things that we're responsible for that was never really good for anybody. I think in the long run, it's good, but change is always hard. You know, back when uh, Henry Ford revolutionized the Model T and that began, uh, an automobile started taking off, uh, there's a technical term for it, but I don't remember their title, but there was this huge petition up, up in Congress because at the time, a um, the largest unskilled labor job in America was going around and scooping uh, manure off of streets. And they were like, if we switch to cars, what are we going to do with these couple hundred thousand people who are employed literally picking up crap every day like they would just go through town and like clean the streets of horse crap that was a real tension of the time of like what do we do how are we going to survive thankfully we have found other ways to pay for our livelihood than just picking up crap and that'll happen again in this new change <laughs> it's just gonna it's just the change itself it's hard yeah so speaking of picking up crap kind of <laughs> that that reminds me of what we were talking about originally with social media oh and mastery well okay. i wasn't gonna go there <laughs> <laughs> but it, it makes me think of that mastery where it's like, a, you you know, yeah. you hire the copywriter, you hire the photographer, you mm -hmm. hire the, you know, insert here, who is a craftsman of their trade mm -hmm. of insert yes. talent and, you know, mastered skill here. But what if I am not one of those people? What if I am not yet a, a master of a single skill, but I still think of myself as a problem solver slash entrepreneur slash business owner? How do I start to go through your book and benefit from that? Sure. Well, it really all stems from not you, but who you're serving. And I think a lot of people, entrepreneurs get stuck here because they think about like what, you know, it, yes, at some level, you should probably think about the things that you care about, the things you're good at, like as we talked about earlier, but you really have to start from the looking at real people and what real problems they have that you can solve. We don't need somebody else to sell fidget spinners on Amazon. It's not a problem that you need to solve. Like the, nobody has the problem. Nobody goes to Amazon and man, there's only 10 different companies that sell fidget spinners that can deliver it by 4 p.m. today. Nobody has that problem. And so that's not a good business. Instead, you want to look for the, what are the real problems that people have that either is not solved or is not solved well. So my operations director and I were just ranting about education and the fact that like there's a lot of problems in the education world, just to pick one example. And so, OK, well, who actually has the problem? Uh, it's not the principals. It's not the, you know, school directors. It's not the teachers, even the teachers do have some problems. Sure. But the biggest problem in education right now is parents and children is the parents going like, man, I am not satisfied with what my kids are, their experience and what they're learning. And the kids are going, 
mom, dad, I will literally never use any of the stuff I'm learning in school in my life ever again. And the parents are saying, yeah, you're right, but you still have to go because I got to go to work. And so you've got to go somewhere. And like, that's a problem. That is a massive waste of time and money. So that's an example of where you could go and then look at the parents and the children and figure out, okay, what's the real problem? What are they trying to accomplish or achieve? And you could reverse engineer a solution and that, and that's your business. There are people doing this in real life of like rethinking both curriculums for, you know, for homeschoolers. That's kind of like the, you know, one of the many options. There's also tons of different private school options that are, that are popping up that are trying to experiment with this, including hybrid models where it's like two days in the classroom, three days at home. Or there's even people within government who are trying to figure this out where like in Tennessee, at least, I don't know if every state has this, but there's actually a virtual public school. You can enroll your kids in public school, but it's a hundred percent remote. There's no campus. You're at home on a laptop, but there's teachers and like there's teachers in this curriculum, just like you would in other public school. It's just at home. So there's different, there's different ways that people are experimenting and solving this problem, but honestly, it's not solved. It's a massive problem. And there's a lot of people who care about it. And so there's an, that's an opportunity for you to say, okay, well, now I need to sit down with some parents and find out what do they care about? And right well, wait, when you start talking to parents, you might realize, okay, maybe I said parents, maybe it's actually a specific segment of parents. Maybe it's actually entrepreneurs. Maybe, just as an idea, entrepreneurs who have kids are some of the most critical of the education system. And so speaking personally as one, as an entrepreneur who has kids in school. So maybe that's your subsection. And you go like, hey, I want to go to these parents who are also the entrepreneurs and want their kids to have practical skills. And I want to help craft a product that meets their needs. That's a business that you get excited about. Well, and, and I think the other thing that might be an obstacle to most people when they start to look at this peripheral of there's a problem that is in need of solving. Oh, wait, somebody mm-hmm. else has already solved it. Don't take that as first value because in your platform university days, one of the things yeah. that was said a lot was just because somebody else is already out there talking on the same topic or creating content on this same thing, or in other words, your niche is already filled. No, it's not because you haven't yet brought your voice to it. And so if we apply that over to this, somebody else's solution may not be the solution for everyone with that problem. You may Mm -hmm. have a unique insight into a better solution that will fix the problem for people that have not yet been served yet. Yeah, your niche is not really saturated until it's been commoditized. And that's a very nerdy way to say something I'll explain. But a business becomes commodity focused when the only thing that matters is price. Fidget spinners is a great example of that, just because I mentioned them earlier. Of like, there was the fad where everybody was into fidget spinners. And there's a lot of people who have warehouses full of 10,000 fidget spinners because they thought, this is it. This is my day. This is my chance to cash in on this big thing. Well, it turns out pretty quickly that there's so many people selling it that if you're going to buy a fidget spinner, you don't really care where it comes from. All you care is which one's the cheapest one that's not going to break. That's a commodity-based industry. The same thing is true for oil, for gas, for, uh, well, I guess those are kind of the same thing, but for lumber, I mean, there's commodity-based businesses, that's a whole different, I don't, te- I don't know how to teach you how to succeed in commodity-based business. That's not really entrepreneurship. That's more like just smart operations and arbitrage. And so when you're talking about solving a problem, look around and say like, okay, well, what are people asking when they're trying to solve this problem? Fitness is a great example of a niche that lots of people are trying to solve. You could throw a stone and hit five people who want to improve their health that it'll all be very mad that you threw a stone at them. But that's not the point. The point is that it's not really solved. Like you've got to find out like, hey, well, what's the real problem that needs to be solved? What's the real problem that's keeping someone from achieving their health? And that takes actual conversations to real human beings. And that's, by the way, why I say real people is because lots of startups will create a company based on imaginary people. And those are the startups that fail fastest. And unfortunately, those are the startups that also raise a lot of money 
and then fail. Like Juicero is a great example of this, of the, you know, a classic example of a company that raised millions of dollars in venture capital funding. They invent in a machine that sits on your, it, you know, it sits in your kitchen on the table and it, you know, every morning it makes you this beautiful green juice drink that's healthy. It's delicious. You're going to love it. Uh, you know, the machine about 600 bucks, but hey, I mean, you're going to have green juice every morning for breakfast and green juice was a fad at the time. And so they raised millions of dollars and then they launched this machine that was a $600 machine. And then Bloomberg published an article saying, okay, To use this machine, you have to buy these $15 protein packs or produce packs, whatever they called them, something like that. And it was basically a squeeze pouch filled with goop. And the machine just took the squeeze pouch and mixed it with water and put it in a cup. So you could skip this $600 machine, buy the $15 squeeze pouch, squeeze it in a cup, mix it with water, and you had the exact same solution. Needless to say, that did not go well for Juicero. They did not sell many of those $600 machines, and they went bankrupt. And so that's an example of where like, they were trying to solve an imaginary problem for imaginary people that somehow needed a six hundred. Like they weren't actually trying to solve a real problem. You have got to trace it back to what is the problem you're solving and then reverse engineer what you create. Yeah. It makes me think of Pat Flynn's book, Will It Fly? And testing yeah, out of ideas. Right and and I know that he said of your book that he wished this book had been around when he was getting started. So that's high praise. He did say that. I'm very grateful yeah. for that. I should mention about the book, like, I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm still young. I'm, I'm 31. I've launched three businesses and I've helped other people launch, you know, scale theirs, sell some, do, do other stuff with others, but I'm still young. And so I created my own draft of the playbook I wrote during lockdown. But then I went and interviewed a couple dozen of the business mentors who I admired the most and included their insight in the book. And ultimately that became my, the Thrive School podcast. So you can actually listen to the interviews. But in the book itself, I include a lot of perspective from people like Pat Flynn and Michael Hyatt that we mentioned. Yeah. And I do want to call out, like, it's evident that you have a a degree in economics, the way that you're talking about this. But it's great that the book is not, this is the John Meese perspective on things. It's, no, it's you crafting a course in book form with insight and expertise from all those people that you gathered together and and interviewed. So it's a great book. I want to thank you. I'm trying to think of what else, you know, without diving too much more into the book and giving it away. Which, you know, I mean, I bear, I mean, I always give it away. Yeah. Actually, if you show up at my, if you actually show up, you come to, I own a physical entrepreneur center, co-working space in Columbia, Tennessee. If you should, if you come here, I literally will give you one for free. I just did that to somebody this morning, but that's most people will do that. So I give it away for a dollar. So I think that's as close as I can get. Well, you know, you, you've now said that, so that's on record. And uh, okay. and in fact, that'll be the audiogram that I'll pull out and promote the episode. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, yeah. But but it's great to see. I mean, you've done your research and you've lived it out in terms of the identifying of the problem for entrepreneurs, which is to have them identify the problems of their people yes. that they need to solve the problem for. I really think that this is, again, evergreen and timely, which... How do you do both those things at the same time? That was the goal. Right? Yeah. That was the goal. I'm going to have a second edition of the book come out in the next year, but honestly, very little of it's going to change. It's not like I'm going to rewrite the whole book. It's just that when I wrote it, it's very much like in the middle of COVID. uh, Yeah. But honestly, only the introduction. Because when you get into each of the chapters, I don't even really mention. It's kind of like the introduction sets the stage and then everything else is like, okay, this is timeless. This is stuff that can work in any economy. But I am still working on a second edition because there's some things. I want to add, uh, yeah, you know, I think this is something that I hope this is really helpful. Like my, I didn't write the book to make a bunch of money. You know, that's not why I recommend anybody write books. It's a lot of work. You don't get paid a lot, but it's something that I think that, you know, it can spread that it can help people. And that's what I want it. Books have done a lot to create impact me and help 
me kind of become who I am. And I hope this book does the same thing for other people. Yeah. For people that are interested, other than, you know, showing up at your co-working space to get their free copy, yes. where can people go to find out more about the book and, you know, get sample chapters, all, the, all that kind of good Sure. Authory type stuff you're supposed to do. Yes. Uh, well, you're welcome to go to any bookstore, you know, including Amazon and Bookshop and all the others. You're welcome to go to any bookstore and order yourself a copy. But I actually recommend if you go to surviveandthrivebook.com because there we have a book for a buck program. So you can get the book for a dollar. You still got to pay shipping, but I don't make any money off of that. And that just covers some of the print costs, some of the print costs so that I can get a book sent out to you and I will sign it and send, put a little message in there. But, you know, if you like Audible, it's an audiobook as well. It's on there. If you like Kindle, it's there do you, too. Do you read that? Uh, I do a lot of Kindle reading is it myself. Your voice reading the book? Yes, it is my voice. Perfect. I have uh, been told by several people that they love the audiobook because it was like the two of us just sitting down over coffee. And I said, if I ever take you out to coffee and talk for three and a half hours without pausing to give you a chance to speak, please slap me. Uh, yeah, the audiobook is great too. <laughs> well, I can't wait to meet up, John, in person so you can talk to me for three and a yes, half hours. Yes, looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i might let you get it a word we'll see yeah we'll, we'll see john it's been great talking with you obviously you'll be back in the future i can't wait thank to you. see what you do next can't wait to see you in person but thanks Looking so much for being here it is my pleasure eric and please keep up the good work well that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list i hope that you enjoyed this conversation with john meese i know i always enjoy hanging out with john meese and talking to john meese we've had a bunch of times where we've seen each other in person down in the Nashville area. I can't wait to get back down there again. This was a great substitute for now, <laughs> but I hope to see him again soon and talk to him again soon. Trust me, this will not be the last time he has been on this show. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider sharing this episode with somebody you know needs to hear it. Maybe you know of somebody who needs to survive and thrive or grab the deal of grabbing this book for a dollar, like John suggested. I've linked up to everything that's possible to do that with in the show notes. You can find those at beyondthetodolist.com. That's also where you can hit the share button to share this or click the share button in your podcast player app of choice where you're listening. Thank you so much for sharing this episode. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.